uh, so super fun to have Haley up here. You may not know this, but she had a COVID wedding over the break. And so did a little, uh, she got married over the break. And so super fun uh, that she is back. And so, hey, I've missed you guys. Holy smokes. It is so fun to be with you guys. It has been, it has felt like forever. And it really has been. It's been about three months since we've actually got to be here together in person. And so I've missed you guys. And it's fun to be back. And I'm really grateful that you're here this morning. I think t- this morning is going to be really uh, uh a shifting time for us in our community. I think our, our message about what we're going to be diving into is just that big and that important. And so uh, last week we looked at one kind of central thing and it's found in John seven thirty eight, and it says this. Uh, next slide. Okay, I got it for you. It says, as the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. And these are the words that Jesus doesn't just make us a promise Uh, But he invites us to experience that even in the midst of right now, when you're getting squeezed, when your kids be at home for the last three months and you haven't done a lick of school, when things seem uncertain about your future or they seem unshaky with your job circumstances, Jesus speaks right into the middle of that and says you can have soul-quenching, satisfying life flow outside of us. And I said last week that while that is true, I just wonder how many of us actually get to experience that. Like that is a reality for us. And we said that you cannot uh, muster up the strength. You can't outthink it. You can't outsmart it. You can't uh, work your way into this thing, but it has to be something that you surrender to. And we said that Jesus makes this radical statement And he says, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit will come. And we said that the only thing better than the Holy Spirit sitting next, or excuse me, Jesus sitting next to you is the Holy Spirit inside of you. And if you want to live from a place where there's rivers of living water flowing outside of you, you and I have to be connected to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit residing inside of us. It's just better this way. Not to do it in our own strength and our own abilities because we can't, but to be empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. And these shifts, these subtleties that we're making have the ability to change everything. Small shifts and the way that we understand that will change everything. It will change the trajectory kind of of where this thing is headed. Think back with me, uh, uh, if some of you are like way back in middle school, right? But when you were in middle school, do you remember these two kind of postures? Maybe the first time you, you held hands with that girl, right? This meant one thing, but dang, I tell you what, when you did this thing with them, that meant, that meant something completely different, right? That was, hey girl, like there's something here going on. We're not just friends, but there is something kind of going on, and it's a shift That means like everything. And I think that's really what we're going to be talking about, these shifts in the posture of this to this, to where there is a new defining of the relationship that we get to enjoy with the Holy Spirit. It's funny because even now, uh, when me and my wife hold hands, she doesn't want to hold hands like this. She calls that old lady hands. Like, I don't want to old lady hand you. I want to be like this. I want to be like this. Because it means something completely different. And that's what we're going to be aiming at 
this, this morning, we are going to do something pretty ambitious. We're going to be talking about, uh, from really Genesis all the way till today, about how is it, like looking at the story of the Bible, how is it that Jesus can say those things to us? How is it that he can say, it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit can come? How do, you begin to be, how do we begin to go from here to here and enjoy that type of intimate relationship? Uh, when me and my wife first started to date, uh, we dated long distance. Did, has anyone ever dated long distance before? It's horrible. It's horrible where you only get to see each other on the weekends and you may get to sneak down and kind of get maybe get an evening together every now and then, but it is horrible. You live with this perpetual kind of ache in your stomach. Where you just long to be with that other person. It, do you know the ache that I'm talking about? Where you, I just miss them. I just want to be. I want to be with them. And friends, I want to tell you, if you have ever experienced that ache, then you know something about the heart of God. You know something about His DNA, about how He feels about you. He has that ache that wants to go from here to here. He wants. To, be, to close the gap in the relationship between us and him. And he aches, he longs for this intimate encounter with us. We see this starting all the way back in Genesis. We're going to do the whole Bible this morning, so hang in there. But all way back in Genesis, we, we see the story of God walking in the cool of the day with his creation. And it says that God is walking with them. That's it, how you and I are designed to be with God. That's how he intended our relationship to be enjoyed. And he didn't come up, he, he didn't create me and you to create another religion or to come up with a bunch of rules to follow. There was only one thing and that was to enjoy our relationship with him. And yet we chose something different. We chose to say thanks, but no thanks to God's offer. And when we did that, the relationship got fractured and sin entered the picture and sin always leads to hiding and hiding always leads to shame. And God, there's this famous line in the, in the Genesis that says that God was walking in the cool of the evening and he calls out to his creation, where are you? And it's not because he doesn't know where they're at. He's God. But it's that I just want you to want me to. Where are you? Come out of hiding. And sin fractures this oneness. And it wasn't about proximity with our creator, but it was about intimacy. And ever since that moment that sin entered the picture, God has been in the business of closing the gap with us by covering us and removing our shame and removing our guilt and restoring us back to this type of relationship. And so one of my girl's favorite stories found in Genesis 11. We're going right along. Hang with me now. So one of my girl's favorite stories is the Tower of Babel because I say, girls, what happened at the Tower of Babel? And they say, blah, 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 blah. And it's, I said, that's right. God mixed up the languages. And if you know the story, what happens is humanity decides we want to build this tower back to God. And from the outside, it looks like humanity is wanting to close the gap between them and God. And what you see is when you dig beneath the surface is that that was not their intention. It was, it was not about the architect, but it was about their heart. And God saw that they really didn't want to close the gap and get to God. They really wanted to be God for themselves. And so God 
mixes up their languages and confuses their languages and they get frustrated and actually abandon the project. And that archetype of the Tower of Babel is something that you and I live with to this day. It's, it's almost like it's the story of our lives where we try to earn something that could never be earned. We try to build and work our way back up and God says, no, it's not by that. You cannot earn this thing. It's only by my spirit that we go from this to this and God closes the gap. All throughout the Older Testament, you see this phrase, there is this no better compliment given to people than to say that they walked with God. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Sarah walked with God. And that's what I want to be said about my life, that John walked with God when he was on this earth. Not that he earned a bunch of money and got to retire fat with the life, or he was an unbelievable fisherman and outdoorsman, which I am. But he, he, that's not what I want to be said about my life. I want my life to say, like, he walked with Jesus. And when he finally went home, he walked this earth, and then he walked into eternity, and he enjoyed the same relationship here on earth that he enjoyed there one day. And I believe that's what you want to be said about you too, that you want to walk with God where you are letting him establish the pace and the direction and, and where your life is headed. And then we see in this Exodus story where people are walking with God again and they're coming out of a life of slavery, out of the oppression of Pharaoh. And God says, uh, God sends a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day to kind of enclose them. And he says, build a tent, build this tabernacle. And look what God says. Go to the next slide. It, sounds, it says this in Exodus. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't even enter the tent of meeting because a cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. It's this picture of God dwelling with his creation. When my girls were little, Christy would come home and we would have like the tents set up in our living room and we would have blankets everywhere and the house would be trashed. And we would love to build these big forts right in the middle of them. You know what? The point was never building the tent or never building the structure. The point was always to get inside. Because when you get inside with your kids, it's like the world goes silent. And you get to enjoy just this sweet little moment of just you and them. And it's like you're, they're the only ones in the world. And God says, build me a tent. I just want to be with you. I just want to come inside with you so that we can have this intimate encounter together. God, again, is closing the gap that sin has fractured. And then it gets even better because in John it says this. Next slide. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word dwelling, you can translate that in this way. The word became flesh and made his tabernacle among us. That Jesus tabernacled among us, meaning that the presence of God is now not in a tent or a tabernacle, but it is living and breathing, and the tent has a name, and the name is Jesus Christ, and he's living among us. The presence of God is now living among us. It's beautiful, and the presence of God does something even more radical. It's what you see in Genesis where God was walking in the cool of the night with his garden. 
when Jesus tabernacled this earth, he says the same thing as his father. Let's go for a walk together. Come and follow me. And people begin to leave everything and follow this tabernacle that has a name that is named Jesus. And they start walking with him for three years. And then suddenly Jesus is walking by himself. And he walks to a hill called Golgotha. And he walks all the way to the cross. And God did what he did all the way back in Genesis, where God covers their sin and shame and restores the relationship. God does it again on the cross. But this time with his own son. And his son pays the price for our sin and shame. And yet again, God is interested in closing the any sort of gap that exists between me and you. And we go from this relationship that is like this to like this with our creator. And Jesus says, it's better this way. It's better if I go so that the Holy Spirit can come and dwell inside of you. This, this is about the math. Friends, this is about the ratio. You have to understand that when Jesus walked this earth, it was Jesus and he rolled with his three best friends, James, Peter, and John, right? And then Jesus had uh, one to three, and then he had one to 12 with the other disciples, then he had one to 120, kind of the followers, and the ratio was pretty big. But when Jesus says, I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit, the ratio changes, and it goes one to one. Well, now the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. In the Older Testament, if you wanted somebody to experience the power and the presence of God, you had to bring them to the tabernacle. You had to bring them to the uh, place of God. And Jesus changes the paradigm and says, you don't have to bring them to a place. Introduce yourself to them. Because now the power and presence, the ratio is a one-to-one. I will come and reside inside of you. And friends, it gets even better and it gets even crazier. I can't even tell you. Because today is an important day in the life of the church. And you may or may not know this, but today is a crazy day. 50 days after Passover, there was a Jewish festival called Pentecost. And Pentecost was the day that originally uh, was not a Christian holiday, but a Jewish festival that celebrated the first of first fruits or when uh, the Ten Commandments were giving. And, uh, and so Jerusalem is filled with, with literally thousands of people from all over speaking all over all these different languages. And Pentecost is the day that we mark that Jesus fulfills his words when he says, it's better that I go so that I'll send the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is 50 days after Resurrection Sunday, and it's the day where the Holy Spirit indwells the life of the believer. And do you know what today is? Today is 50 days later. Today is Pentecost Sunday, the day that we celebrate the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's the day when all of the churches decided to start again with one voice in a unified direction that we say we're going to gather again together. It's that picture of like, we couldn't have planned it this well. Like God was doing something about reestablishing a new normal for us. It's like there's a page being turned in our lives. 
And, what, and look at what it says in Acts 2. It says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. And suddenly, like a blowing or violent wind came from the heavens and filled the whole house where the people were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled, not they were sprinkled or they got a small portion, but they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other, ter- in other tongues. And when Jesus, the last thing that Jesus said to them is, wait here. And I want you to wait here until you receive the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, I want you to go to the nations. And now at Pentecost, the nations have all come to them. It's this beautiful picture of God gathering and fulfilling what he said. And it says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands up and he speaks up and he gives the first Holy Spirit infused, anointed by the Spirit that now resides inside of him, message ever, and 3,000 people get baptized that day. It's remarkable. And I want you to see something. Because what happens here is that God reverses the curse. The curse of what happened at the Tower of Babel. God turns the paradigm upside down. At at the Tower of Babel, it was about man trying to get up to God. But Pentecost was about God coming down to man. Pentecost, Babel was about man trying to build a name for himself. And Pentecost was about God establishing his identity in each one of us. Babel was man-designed. Pentecost was God-orchestrated. Babylon was about confusing and scattering people. But Pentecost was about uniting. And it says that each of them heard the gospel in their own language. It was about uniting the people of God. And what is remarkable is not that 3,000 people got baptized that day. That's not even the best part of the story, friends. There's something even more than that. Uh, When me and Christy first moved to Riverside... uh, Maybe 13 years ago, uh, I had never been to a church service at Riverside before. All I met was uh, uh, a few of the staff people, and I thought, I kind of like these people, but I really wasn't ready, honestly, to commit to you. (laughs) And so we moved into an apartment uh, over in the Stone Oak area, just because we weren't sure if we would really like you or not, to be real honest. And uh, it was probably a couple months in where we were like, Man, these are our type of people. Like, we love them. You have restored what we thought church could be about. And you're beautiful and strong and tender. And we love this place. And so uh, we moved out of our apartment and we bought a little house over in Trinity Oaks. And we've been there for 10, 11 years now. And what's funny about that is if you go to uh, our apartment over on Lookout Canyon... We don't live there anymore. If you sent a graduation announcement from your kids, which I love to get, thank you for sending them, to that address, we don't live there anymore. You'll get that little sticker on there that says, change of address. And what is the most significant about Pentecost is not that 3,000 people were baptized and said yes to Jesus, which is significant but God changed his address for all time. That God himself 
moved, that Pentecost was moving day. Look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you yourself are God's temple? And that God's spirit now dwells, tabernacle, rest inside of you. That God's permanent address is now inside of you. That he has forever closed the gap. From Genesis to this day, God has been in the business of closing the gap and saying it's better. Next to you is the Holy Spirit inside of you. And God had moving day. And he moved into the lives of believers. And it's remarkable. And I'm not sure how many of us not just can can think through that, but how many of us actually experience that? Like that's normal for us to believe that the resting place, the house, the home of God is now my life. Jesus says it's better this way. It is better if I go so that the Holy Spirit can make its home inside of you. And you go from this to this. And the gap is closed for all time. Question, how do you live from that place? How do you actually live from a place of believing and wrestling with and discovering and strengthening this, the Holy Spirit has made his home inside? How do you even, how do you begin to walk that out? The Bible, please know, is not a book of rules to follow, but it's this picture and imagery that is filled with questions that we get to ask and to wrestle with. And at Jesus's baptism, what comes down from heaven? What is the picture there? It's a dove. Have you ever thought about why a dove comes down from heaven? Like what's the meaning or significance of a dove? Well, if you know anything about dove, not only are they really tasty, but dove are a very shy and sensitive bird. Now, can you imagine, like, if the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, what would it look like if the Holy Spirit descended on you and rested on your shoulder like a dove? How would your life look differently? Do you think you would move a little bit slower? If you wanted that dove to rest on you, would you move a little slower? Would you walk a little bit more carefully? Not that we have to worry about the dove flying off. It doesn't work that way. But just the imagery there, like it's, we'd probably be a little bit more careful with our words. We wouldn't raise our voice because we don't want that dove to fly off. We would be gentle. We would be kind because we want to host that dove well. That picture. Now, if we take that and we apply that, what, what does it look like to host the Holy Spirit? If we believe that God is oh so careful with our lives, how do we be oh so careful with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives? I want to give you, I'm a very practical person. I want to give you just some things that maybe you and I can wrap our hands around. Some very practical ways about hosting the Holy Spirit. And the first one is this, build a tent. Throughout the Old Testament, you saw that imagery of God saying, build a tent, Build a tabernacle and I will dwell in there. It's that picture of you getting into the tent with your kids. And my kids aren't at that age anymore. 
But it's that picture that the tent is never the purpose, but it's about this encounter and place where we get to meet together. And when I say build a tent, I'm talking about, friends, do you have these regular moments where you are carving out chunks of time where you're getting into the presence of God? Do you have a normal rhythm in your life where you are setting aside times of your day and these rhythms of your life where you're tuning in to the heart of God? Are you building a tent? Do you have those moments? Maybe for you, it's like first thing in the morning. My wife's a morning person. I'm not. She's up in the morning and on the sofa in our living, in our, in our office every morning. And that's her, her tent where she is encountering the presence of God. Maybe for you, it's driving in your car on the way to work where you're singing like nobody's even watching and you're just tuning in your heart and allowing God to meet with you, but that's your tent. Mine is, I get one room in the house and it's the garage. (laughs) And so I go to the garage and I journal and I write and I think and, but let me just tell you, if you want to be aware of the Holy Spirit, there is no substitute for getting in the tent. You can't cheat your way out of it. You have to be willing to have these moments where you're just stepping in and encountering because the more you are aware, because the more you develop that awareness and that rhythm of meeting with him, the more you become aware of the Holy Spirit moving in your life. This last week, there was uh, some really bad storms and I woke up uh, with one of my... Her hand was interlocked on mine like this. This is how I woke up. And there was this squeezing of the hand. And at that moment, let me just tell you, it was one of those proud dad moments where you just put the blanket over her and I just love you. I just love you. You know, I've said it before. It's like there's something with your kids where you just want to eat them. They're so cute. And I I just wanted to nibble on her. I just, my heart was so turned towards her. And Jesus wants those same things. He's like, just get in the tent with me. Just get in the tent with me. I want these moments where it's just me and you. You will begin to live with an awareness of the Holy Spirit when you carve out chunks of your time to get in the tent with him. There is no substitute. Second thing is this, as I think you have to step up. Uh, If you remember what we talked about last week, when we talked about the nature of the Trinity, we said that the Trinity, the, whole, uh, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loves to point to the other one. The Holy Spirit says, don't look at me, look at him. And then Jesus comes along and says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you, the Father says, well, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can then in return point to Jesus. Then Jesus points to the Father and the Father sends the Holy Spirit. And there's this constant deferring of glory this constant deferring of otherness in the nature of the Trinity. It's what the Trinity loves to do is to point to one another and that's the atmosphere of heaven. Hell on earth is the opposite. Hell on earth is me-centered, me-focused. I step forward and I make it all about myself. But the atmosphere of heaven is this deferring and honoring of one another. And so what happens at Pentecost, we didn't read it uh, this morning, but Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 14. It says that he steps up and being filled with the Holy Spirit, he doesn't say, look at me, look at how super spiritual and religious I am. 
the very first thing that the power of the Holy Spirit does is it empowers Peter to point to something other than himself. And Peter steps up and lays out this gospel message about how people can close the gap between them and God and 3,000 people get baptized. If you want to be host the Holy Spirit well, if you want to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, you have to step up and point to something with your life other than yourself. The Holy Spirit will never empower and take over you so that you can become somebody that points to yourself. It does not work that way. You will not experience the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you can become a selfish person. It just doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit loves to remember it's a person and has a personality and has an agenda and the Holy Spirit loves to point to Jesus. And if you want to host the Holy Spirit well, you got to point to something other than yourself. you got to let your life be about something other than just you. You have to be willing to step up and to say, it's not about me. My life points to something so much greater. It's about him. And lastly, friends, I think you have to DTR. I think you, you, you have to define the relationship. You have to define exactly what it is that you're talking One thing, this means something completely different. But you know what's even better than this? Is this day. This day changes everything. There is a new defining of the relationship on this day. When uh, this last week I got to do a wedding, uh, uh, I got to do some premarital counseling for this couple that had to cancel their wedding because of COVID. And so we got to meet and we got to talk a little bit about just the goal of marriage. And I don't know that they are followers of Jesus. They like Jesus. But as far as any type of relationship, I'm not really sure. And so it's a privilege to get the chance to sit down with them and talk to them about, hey, let me tell you what the goal of marriage is. And I want to tell you real quick, real quickly what the goal of marriage is. It's really simple. It's found in Genesis. It says, and the two will become one flesh. They go from here to here to here. It's the one flesh. And that, brothers and sisters, that, friends, is what God has been doing since the beginning of time. He is desiring this one flesh moment with you. This couple, I was telling them, listen, there will come a day that you've been together for four years, but when you walk down that aisle, God no longer sees two. He sees one. One flesh. And God had a moving day. And that day is today. It was Pentecost Sunday, where God came and moved in so that you and I could be one flesh with him for all time. You have to define the relationship. And let me be real honest. I I, I go in and out. <laughs> I go in and out of hosting this hosting really well. 
But there has to be this moment where you render yourself dead. There has to be this moment where you say, God has moved in. And now I'm one flesh with him. Like, we've done all of it. And now our lives are one. That I don't get to say whatever I want to say. I don't get to act however I want to act. I don't get to do... I'm one flesh with him. And what's on his agenda is on my agenda. And what breaks his heart is what breaks my heart. And what he's up to, I'm up to. I heard a black pastor this last week say something really brilliant. He said, if you're overwhelmed with what's going on in the world, make, make no mistake, your calling is to change the world. And if that's overwhelming, then just change your world. And I thought, oh, that's so good. Just change your world then. And that's the nature of the Holy Spirit, to come inside and change your world that you and I count ourselves one flesh from this point on. It's God's moving day. And so friends, brothers, sisters, I need to ask you just that question. Would you like to be filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit? Would you like to host the dove well? Then you got to define the relationship. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. I'm just going to ask you to stay seated right there. Turn your palms up right now. And we're just going to count. We're going to count ourselves dead. That that old life, me-centered, me-focused is gone. And we're just going to invite the fullness of the Holy Spirit to come and to make his home so that we are aware of his presence in our lives. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you don't live in tents and tabernacles. God, that you live inside of us. That your agenda has always been about closing the gaps, God. That you don't settle for anything other than this one flesh. That from the dawn of creation, we see a God, we see you walking with us. And then Jesus walks with us. And now, God, you reside inside of us. The ratio is just better this way because you live inside of us. So we count ourselves dead to ourselves and alive to you. Holy Spirit, we ask, as we saw at Pentecost, not a sprinkling, not a dose, but a filling of the Holy Spirit right now, that there be fresh wind that stirs our heart's affection for you, God, that we would host the Holy Spirit well. God, that nothing in life tastes as good as you, that we will be people that do not settle for anything other, God, than your spirit resting on us. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to come and to have your way. God, not just with us, among us, and now through us. So would the spirit do the work that only the spirit can do? Father, we make room. We close the gap. We, God, long for this oneness with you. Father, we bless you for the gift of Pentecost. 
God's moving day where you chose us to be your house. So we welcome that here. We welcome that in our lives. And we bless you, Father. To Christ's name we pray.